Welcome to another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church. We are... I want to talk about something this morning about Jesus made this incredible statement. And it's been mentioned a few times that Pastor Ross mentioned one of the scriptures this morning in the first service. And Tim kind of talked a little bit about it. And I won't tell you what the statement is yet because I want to explain the whole context of what he was saying. He made this incredible statement in the book of John at this ceremony, this festival that was happening uh, and that it still happens today. Uh, there's a festival that happens uh, each year in September in the Jewish calendar and it's called the Feast of Shelters or the Feast of Tabernacles. And they celebrate uh, many different things. And what I want to do is before I, well, before I share what Jesus said, if I explain what this uh, celebration, what this festival is about, and explain what they were celebrating. When I say this is what Jesus got up and said, you'll understand what he was saying and how powerful it was that he was saying. So, Lord, I just thank you today that your presence is here. And I pray today that as we talk about this, that you would just bring life and breakthrough into people's hearts and lives, that you would, uh, Holy Spirit, that you really would speak to our hearts, Lord God, and we would see just a, into a deeper relationship with Jesus and just to a, a new level with you, Lord God, as you would speak to us and, and teach us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's, a, there's this festival that is celebrated even today. It's called the Feast of Shelters. The festival started back in uh, with Moses and the Israelite um, and the Israelites, the nation of Israel, they had been in Egypt. They'd been freed from Egypt. They'd gone through the Red Sea. They'd, all that had happened. They Red Sea parted. They walked through. Uh, the Egyptian army was washed away, and uh, God had brought them into a new place. And so, and uh, you know, the Israelites kind of were a bit grumbly and a kind of bit whinged a bit as well. And uh, and so God, they wandered around the desert for forty years. Basically, uh, they were, should have went in the Promised Land, but they just. That is, God says, look, these guys are just, their hearts are hard, they've, they're whinging, they're grumbling, and so they wandered around the desert until the next generation grew up, their kids, and they went into the promised land. That's a whole other story. But that's the context we're in, and so they've got out of Egypt, we're in the desert, and then basically they begin to celebrate uh, this festival right back then. This festival remembered what God had done for them uh, by freeing them out of Egypt, okay, and they've walked through the Red Sea, and they begin to remember the things that God had saved them from. It lasted for eight days, okay, so it's an eight-day celebration. Uh, they remembered being rescued out of slavery, and they would stay in shelter. So when they're in the desert, they were in, they were in like, tents because they were moving all the time and so they're known like we have pop-up tents now pulls out their three-man tent pull the poles together and all that they didn't have any of them but they did have shelters they'd make with or probably their sticks and tree sticks and fashioned bits of wood and and they'd put their shelters up and they would move through the desert and live in that all around and so they would then start it off like that and today even in uh, Jerusalem and all through for you know for ever since then they have basically even today if you went to the celebration of shelters and the festival there was people they come and bring their tents and they set up tents like the same type style of tent they had in the old testament and they live in it for a week in jerusalem like i'm talking about tens of thousands 
of Jews. And even Christians now travel to Jerusalem and celebrate that because what I'm going to talk about uh, is significant for Christians as well. So they actually go and celebrate with the Jewish people when you get the full understanding of what they're actually celebrating. And so they would celebrate and remember, and they still do, uh, what, what, how the Israelites lived in the desert. They were in there for 40 years. The theme of the festival is they celebrated water. And they celebrated fire. Celebrated the thing about fire. I'm not going to talk about that today. It's a whole other subject. But they talked about and celebrated water. As in this, the festival would start and they would begin to read scriptures. And they still do. They stand up and there was music playing. They'd sing songs and they begin to read the scriptures of where the Israelites went through the Red Sea. And they begin to read out in front of the crowd of tens of thousands. They'd read where they were saved, where the Egyptian army was washed away and they were saved and the water parted. And they'd read all these scriptures. They remembered and they would celebrate and thank God that he saved their nation. Okay, so that's part of the festival. They're celebrating uh, what God did with water in regards to all kinds of things with water because there's a lot of it uh, at that time. And so then they'd also celebrate in the scriptures, and I read this, did this around communion this morning, that when they were in the middle of the desert and they came to a place in the book of Numbers, you can read, they started grumbling and whinging and there was in a, they came to this dry place and there's no water, there's no food, there's nothing at all. And so... God speaks to Moses and Aaron and said, take your staff and uh, go and hit, hit the rock. And then this miraculous water started flowing out of the rock. Now, I don't know how big the rock was or whatever, but it was in a dry place. It was a total miracle. And you've got to remember that enough water came out to, enough water came out for the whole Israelite nation, which was millions of people. Okay, like the population of Brisbane, enough water ran out of this rock to, to everyone, and all their livestock, stock, all their animals, everything. Enough water just kept flowing out of this rock to nourish them all in the middle of nowhere in a dry desert place. So they read out those um, scriptures and they read out that and they thank God for that. They remember that God had delivered them time and time again and provided for them time and time again. So all these things, and still does to this day. The ceremony was to thank God for his bounty, to ask him to provide rain for the crops in the coming year. So we need to understand that water, uh, it's not like we just go turn on a tap and there's water. But if you, you go back to that, even in, in parts of that land today in the Middle East, water was like gold. Water was like it just wasn't everywhere. Water was so precious to those people. Today we take it so, so much for granted, but not in those days. Water was very scarce, and the people were very much aware of their dependence on God to provide rain for the crops, otherwise they had no food, and water, provide water for them. And so water was like wherever water was, that's where people lived and, and they needed the rain to keep raining and so they would ask God and thank God and, and thank him for everything he's provided for that last year because they their lives depended on it and so no wonder in the Old Testament there's a picture and the prophets came to see rain as a symbol of God's provision and a symbol of the Holy Spirit bringing his rain upon them in the natural and the spiritual so they would see a picture of God's the actual physical rain as God's uh, provision, as a reminder from God that he loves them and that he was there and the rains would come and it was a spiritual sign for them as well. So they would celebrate all of this in this eight-day festival. So I want to give you the big picture about what is going on and what they still celebrate even to this day. 
then on the seventh day was a bit unique. The seventh day was called the great day of this festival, the second last day. It was called the great day. And on this day, they had a water drawing ceremony. And I want to read to you how that happened and what they did. So imagine, I think we've thrown that picture. you want to throw that picture up, Joe, if you haven't already? Just to, I, we threw, you can go on the internet. That is a modern-day picture of the festival happening in Jerusalem. It ha- it's happened there at the same spot where Jesus was. They still celebrate it today. Okay? And so then if you go, if you were to pan out one way or the other way, there's all these shelters set up and people live in them and they come together and they obviously, it's a bit more modern these days. They've got sound systems and, and all this kind of stuff. In those days, that wasn't there. But that's a picture because I want you to get your head into like picture what is going on here. And as you see that picture, I want to read you this. So imagine a whole parade, the seventh day, the great day, a whole parade of worshippers and f- people on flutes led by a priest to the Pool of Siloam. Now, the Pool of Siloam is where Jesus told the blind man, he went and there's a blind man that came to Jesus, and Jesus spat in the ground, made clay, shoved it in his eyes. Who wants Jesus to do that to you if you're blind? Um, and so that's what he did. And then he told him, go and wash your eyes in the Pool of Siloam. And when he washed his eyes, he was totally healed. So they, the priests and all the worshippers, would, would a whole great, a lot of them would go over to this pool and they would uh, have two golden pitchers made of solid gold in their hands. One was full of wine, okay, and the other one he dipped into the pool and filled with water from the pool. And as the flutes continued to play and a choir also then began to sing all these songs, but they particularly sang Psalm 118, And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I want to read you uh, the last part of Psalm 118 because it begins to paint a picture of something that they didn't realize what they were doing and couldn't see it. And even the Jews of today don't fully understand what they were doing. So Psalm 118.22 says this, The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and is wonderful to see. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Please, Lord, please save us. Please, Lord, please give us success. Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. That's talking about Jesus. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God shining upon us. Take the sacrifice and bind it with cords on the altar. Talking, referring to Jesus being a sacrifice. You are my God and I will praise you. You are my God and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. So there's this choir. So I want you to picture this choir is playing with these flutes and there's like a large choir singing this psalm while the priests are getting the water and they're walking through. Then the whole procession heads back to the temple through the water gate. There's a gate in Jerusalem called the water gate and they would walk through the water gate at the celebration of this festival celebrating water. A trumpet sounds as the priest enters the temple area, which was actually a chauffeur, not just a not a James Morrison trumpet, but a chauffeur, which has which is a, has a whole lot of spiritual context in itself. It represents the power and the anointing of God when it is played. And so this trumpet sounds, he approaches the altar where two silver basins are waiting. He pours wine into one of the basins as a drink offering, and, and the that's also a symbol of the Holy Spirit. That's the Bible talks about new wine, the wine being a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And so he pours that out to an offering to the Lord, and he pours the water from the pool of Siloam into the other bowl. 
It's as a sign of God providing water. So they're doing this as a sign of God is providing and they're pouring this water into the bowl and, and, and the wine is being poured as, as the Holy Spirit. They understand that it's God's Holy Spirit that brings spiritual rain and God brings natural rain and they're doing all these symbolic things. This has been happening for thousands of years. The whole ceremony with the parade and the flutes and the singing was such a joyful occasion. And I think you can jump on YouTube if you want to watch it. There's actually video of it. That one of the ancient rabbis wrote this. Anyone who has not seen this water ceremony has never seen rejoicing in his life. He said, you've never seen anything so joyful in your life until you've seen what happens in this festival. Then we get to John chapter 7. And this puts the whole thing in context. In John chapter 7, you can read about this, a bit about this festival. It doesn't tell you a lot about it. But it says that Jesus arrives at the festival in the middle of it. I don't know what day, but uh, not at the beginning, but sort of halfway through. He arrives at the festival of shelters. He begins to teach in the temple. So he goes to the temple while there's you know, people around and they're chatting and they're catching up and there's certain things happening. And Jesus goes to the temple begins to teach. And then as people hear Jesus, they start to believe that this is no ordinary man. This, this is the Messiah. And people are, some people are, at the same time, the teachers of the law are unhappy with Jesus. And they said he shouldn't be at the festival. And they're, wanting to, they're plotting to actually kill him and get rid of him. But other people are starting to believe in him. And the, and the, and the leaders and the high priests are getting mad going. All these people are beginning to believe in Jesus and all this kind of stuff. And, and, then, and they're getting angry. And how can we get rid of this guy? This shouldn't be happening because he was like, he's messing up their deal they had going. And so Jesus is teaching in the temple. And then, then it says this in John chapter 7. Verse 37 to 39, it says this. On the last day, now they caught, there was a one day of rest after it. The last day is referring to the seventh day. On the last day, the climax of the festival. So it's the great day that the water ceremony is all happening on, okay? So imagine this whole water ceremony has happened. They've gone and got the water. They've come back. They've sung Psalm 118. The flutes are playing. There's thousands and thousands of people there watching like this parade of people coming through. They're pouring the water and they're pouring the wine. And when he finishes doing that, this happens. Jesus stands up and shouts to the crowd. Just kind of interrupts the whole thing. Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink, for the scripture declares rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And so in the midst of this festival, and, and all these people at this time didn't understand that everything they were doing in that festival was pointing and was a picture of Jesus. And so he gets up in the midst of it and begins to declare, if you are thirsty, come to me and drink. He just, he's not talking about natural water. He's talking about spiritual water. He's talking about the, the wine they were pouring into that represented the Holy Spirit. The water they were pouring, he said, I'm living water. I have living water. I want to give you living water, something that's real. It's the same water he talked about a few chapters before in the book of John when he sat at the well with a Samaritan woman having a conversation and she's getting water out of the well. And he said, do you know what? There's water that 
I have access to that you don't have to keep putting your bucket down there. I've got this living water. And he starts to talk to her, this whole conversation about the living water with her. And she says, how do I get this living water? It's the same context as this. And so he says, there's rivers of living water will flow from your heart when you come and take a drink from me. The title of my message today is when a drink becomes a river in you. It also goes on to say, when he said living water, this is John has added this on, when he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the Spirit had not been given yet because Jesus had not yet entered into glory. So it has happened now when the Holy Spirit was poured out on Pentecost, that was the living water, that was a Spirit that was poured out. But at that time, the Spirit of God was upon Jesus himself and he was there in flesh. And he said, Here I am. If you're thirsty, come to me. You don't have to go and try and remember all this stuff or try and, you know, you don't have to try and act try and access it through other ways. He said, I am here in the flesh. Everything you are talking about, everything you remember, I was in all of it. I am in all of it. Remember the prophets came to see rain as a symbol of salvation. And the work of God's Holy Spirit. So they saw the rain as God's Spirit when it came down. So when Jesus is saying, that water you're pouring in the bowl, that's me. That's the living water. That rain you're asking for, that comes through me. That salvation, when you're chanting out that song in Psalm 118, God, please save us, that's me. I'm your salvation. I'm the living water. I'm the one you are actually looking for. And he stands up, which would have made a huge, you would just imagine, there's tens of thousands of people. He just interrupts this whole thing. And they're like, whoa, what's he saying here? I read it. Then this whole discussion goes, this argument happens between some of the leaders. Like, he got up and did this. And some are going, isn't that, he, he's the one. And the others are arguing, no, he's not. And they just want to get rid of him and all that kind of stuff. And so this whole stir happened. So they saw this ceremony as you know, the rain is a symbol of salvation, the work of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus is saying, here I am. Jesus is saying, I'm the living water, I'm your salvation, I'm the, ho- the Holy Spirit is upon me. He represents everything they were doing. And so just as the rain falls to nourish the crops, their crops, our crops, the Holy Spirit falls upon those who have identified with Jesus in his death and resurrection. It is the Spirit that refreshes us and causes us to grow in grace and in faith. It is the Spirit that allows us to experience Emmanuel, God with us. That Spirit is available to you and to me every day. That Spirit is available to you today. And when we understand, sometimes we need to understand, we read some things in the Bible and say, what what was going on? Why did Jesus stand up and say that? He was saying it in context of what was going on to those people. And when we understand that, that He is everything, He is the living water, He is our source, He is, he is, a, he is a living water, the Holy Spirit, He sent the Holy Spirit and life flows through the Holy Spirit. The living water goes far beyond any other natural water. It's a spiritual water that refreshes us that we all need. So the entire celebration of the festival was a picture of Jesus. And Jesus was at the festival, but they couldn't see it. He was at the festival, but they couldn't see it. Until he actually got up and said some things. And then they're like, what's he actually saying? 
think about this. They've been eating all week. They've been drinking. You know, celebrate. They had three meals a day, part of the festivals. You sit down with your family and friends, and, and you'd all have a meal together three times a day. You'd eat really well and, and thank God for what he's provided. It was all about thanking God. And So they'd eat lots of food. They'd have lots of feasting and celebrating. And it was like a week-long party with all these things happening. So they're having an incredible time. They're doing all this all week. Gets to the seventh day. Been doing it for seven days. And, you know, in our natural mind, we think, well, they're going to be satisfied. You know, if you saw people, you know, you go to a party, if we go to a party for one night and you eat some food, you go, oh, man, that's, I'm, I'm good. Okay, I don't need any more food. It's all good. Please don't give me another piece of cake. Uh, I don't want any more cake. Okay, take the cake home. And so, you know, we, we go to, and you go to have a celebration, a party, there's always more food than you want, okay? And if it's at your house, you end up with all these leftovers that you're eating for days. At Christmas time, there's too much food and all this kind of stuff happens. So there's all these leftovers. And this festival would have been the same. They brought all this food for a week. You imagine trying to plan. I've got to eat three meals a day for a week. I've got to bring all the food, sharing food. Everyone's satisfied. And in our natural mind, we think, oh, well, they don't need anything else. Look, they're so happy. They're celebrating. They're, they've had nourished. They're feeling, you know, they're feeling, they're thanking God, all this kind of stuff. Is happening, and then but Jesus gets up and says, Anyone who's thirsty, and so straight away Jesus identified that no, that you're, you won't find total fulfillment through your natural food, through celebrating, through natural drink, or whatever it may be, whatever that is, the water, and they probably drank some wine and things like that. You won't find full satisfaction through the things of this world. And so Jesus, in the midst of it, knew exactly, you know, exactly. They'd been doing all this feasting and partying and celebration. And he gets up and he says, I know, I see all of you. And he says, you're still thirsty because you need the Spirit of God. You need living water. You need the Holy Spirit to come upon you. And that's the only way that's going to total fulfillment will come. So we live in a world around us you you know people i know people maybe there's some people sitting in this service this morning we live in a world that is trying to find total fulfillment in the things of this world and you know what they'll come up short every time and so then they go, well, that didn't work. I'll try something new. And they'll, you know, they have, and it's not all bad stuff. They'll just try and, they'll try and, they'll make a lot of money and then think, oh, well, if I buy this and buy whatever I need, I'll feel fulfilled. And guess what? The millionaires of this world, they come up short all the time. They come up empty all the time. I've talked to people who had money and then they thought, I wish I just never had it because everything I thought it would be hasn't been what I thought. It hasn't been fulfilled. I bought this and bought that and it's still it was a bit of a kick, but then it was just like, oh, it's still not fulfilled. And so the things of this world will not satisfy because we, the total fulfillment comes from not just the natural. Yes, fulfillment does come from natural things. Family, friends, we need all of that through a marriage, whatever it may be, through our relationships and friendships. Yes, fulfillment comes through that. But unless you have the Spirit of God and living water and the Holy Spirit mixed in with that and coming upon it, that's when total fulfillment comes, when it all flows in together. You need both. You need the natural and the spiritual. And that's exactly what Jesus was saying. You've been doing everything in the natural, having a great time. But he said, if you're thirsty, because I know you're all still thirsty. You're all doing all this stuff, but you're not totally satisfied. If you're thirsty, come to me and drink, because I am living water. And if you drink from me, and nothing has changed to this day. If Jesus was here, 
he would say the same thing. He would stand up, maybe in the middle of that same festival, I don't know. But he said, if you are thirsty, come to me and drink. My Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's been poured out for you. Receive the Holy Spirit and be filled with the Spirit of God, with living water. We've got a whole generation, a whole world that are searching for all this stuff. You know people, I know people that are searching and trying to fulfill their lives, but they're coming up short because they are trying everything in the natural, but they need the Holy Spirit. They need the Spirit of God. They need an encounter with God. They need the love of God. They need to meet Jesus as their Savior. And suddenly that the air, the emptiness in their life, the parts of their life that feel so unfulfilled will suddenly begin to be filled with Him because He's the only one that can fill those parts. Every single person sitting in this place right now, part of you is spirit. You will not change that. Your spirit will never die. Your spirit will live on forever and eternity. And there's a part of you that can't, your spirit cannot be fulfilled by natural things. It's that they're just counterfeit. The Holy Spirit is the one that fulfills. When it connects with your spirit, the Holy Spirit brings real life and brings everything into perspective, begins to make you whole and, and brand new. And when the broken parts of your life begin to be healed, when you allow His living water and, and His Spirit to fill you, and, and so there can be areas of our life that we've messed up, that we've broken because of sin and, and mistakes and things we've made and things that have been done to us. But it's only through the Spirit of God that those things will get healed because the natural things, we can try them and try them and try them and try and get little fulfillment here and there and try and mask it or whatever. But in the end, we need a spiritual fix for a spiritual problem and so our world is looking for a spiritual fix but they're trying to fill it with a natural and they need they need God's Holy Spirit and they half of them don't even realize it's a spiritual problem until they meet Jesus so let me ask you a couple of questions here today is your life thirsty are you thirsty? I'm not talking about you might be thirsty, you might need a drink of water. But is your life spiritually thirsty? Maybe you're sitting here and maybe you're going, I, I, I know God, but there's been parts of my life that I've actually, I think I'm actually trying to fulfill those things with natural things. They might be bad things, but you're suddenly realizing, hang on a minute. Is that something that actually God has to fulfill? Is that something that the Holy Spirit actually needs to fulfill, that I can't do it in a natural way? I need His Holy Spirit to fill me. Do you feel unfulfilled? Do you feel like part of your life is going, I wish I just do all this stuff and I don't feel totally full. I don't feel like there's something missing. Have you let God's Holy Spirit, have you, have you, have you listened to these words of Jesus that says, if you're thirsty, come to me. It's only through Jesus. It's only by coming to Him. And often we have to humble ourselves and say, Jesus, I'm sorry for trying to do it my own way. I'm sorry for trying to, you know, do it my way and leave you out of the picture. I've realized I need you. I'm sorry. You forgive me, but please come and fill me. And do you know what? He will come straight away. He's waiting. He's waiting for people just to surrender those areas of their life. They're going, I've tried to fill this in the wrong way. And I need His Holy Spirit. I need this living water. Do parts of your life feel empty? He said, if anyone is thirsty, come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scripture declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. 
You need living water. I need living water. And it's not just one drink. And we go, okay, that's good for the rest of my life. You have to regularly drink. Natural water, I can't just have a glass. I can't just drink some of this. I'm good now for 40 years. And uh, had a drink. Oh, good. Don't need a drink anymore. And everyone offers me a drink for the next few days. And no, don't need a drink. And then by a week, you'll hear that Peter is uh, in hospital very sick. And uh, because he's simply refusing to drink water because he thinks, no, I don't need to drink water. I've had a drink and that's all I need. We would be silly to think that, but you know, some people spiritually do that. They go, oh no, I've responded to Jesus. I'm giving my life to Jesus. Or I go to church on a Sunday, that was good. And then we do nothing through the week. We have no drink through the week. We don't spend any time with God through the week. We don't get, and we, we don't just think, oh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll get a drink next week, but I don't need it for the rest of the week. And as, as the week goes on, you get drier and drier and more weary, and, more, and, you go, and you come to church by the next Sunday and go, oh man, I just need Jesus. I don't know what's going on. Life's just crowded and all this stuff. And, and it's like, when did you last have a drink? Oh, last Sunday. What about, what about drinking every day? What about making some time every day to grab his word and begin to read it and begin to just throw on a song for five minutes, worship song, and like Tim was saying before, get some silence and just listen to him. Just sit in his presence, push everything else aside and make some room for him. Because I tell you what, in those moments, that's where you'll have a drink. And guess what? You won't be thirsty every day. You'll actually be filled. You'll get more and more filled every day. And there'll be an overflow. God actually wants you to have an overflow out of your life. Just enough to fill you because he wants to have an overflow. Because he said, when you have a drink from me, there'll be rivers of living water. So one drink from him becomes a river. Rivers aren't designed to just stagnate inside of you they're designed to flow out of you they're designed to flow out of you and God wants a river to flow in every one of you we're going to come around communion to end this service today. I'm going to share a couple of things at the end if the team want to distribute those emblems there's a part of this story where they remembered they remembered about passing through the Red Sea and they remembered about all these things to do with water. And I mentioned one that they were in, they, all the Israelites are complaining. And then Moses comes and whacks the rock twice. And when they hit the rock, water flowed and fed them all. If you read about that and read about what that situation did, it nourished them. And it was a miracle that happened in the desert. But then if you go forward in time and read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 to 4, Paul writes this to the Corinthians. He says this, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, this is to the Corinthian church, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud. That's about the cloud that guided them by day and night that moved ahead of them. And all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. That's referring to past. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. That's a whole other point in itself. All of them ate the same spiritual food. In the desert, not only did God provide water, but he actually provided food from heaven as quail and manna from heaven that would like fall like dew in the morning. And that fed them because there was no food in this desert. And so all of them ate the same spiritual food and all of them drank the same spiritual water. For they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them and that rock was Christ. So what is he saying? He's saying that that rock in the middle of the desert 
that I don't know how big it was, how small it was or whatever, the way the water flowed and fed millions of people and all their animals and all their livestock, the one that he hit where the water flowed, he said that rock was actually Jesus in the desert. Way back then, that was Jesus. That rock that he hit was Christ, Paul writes. And the living water that flowed out of it wasn't just ordinary water, but it was a spiritual miracle, it was living water. The same type of living water that Jesus is talking about here. It, had, it was a supernatural miracle that happened in that desert. And he said that was Jesus. And that water that flowed is a picture of Jesus in that Old Testament. He's all through the Bible. Moses struck the rock and water flowed. Jesus, when he was arrested... Heading to the cross, what did they do to him? They struck him. They beat him. They bruised him. Why did they do that? What happened? Because of these bruises by his stripes, we have been healed. He was bruised and battered for our sin, for our healing, to take our punishment and our pain. Same as Moses hit the rock, Jesus was hit. The Bible says that, Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the foundation. He's the rock of a church. He's the rock of our church. He's a solid foundation. All through the Bible, it shows a picture of Jesus being solid as a rock. And so he was bruised and battered. And then he went to the cross and died for our sin. But three days later, life flowed. Living water flowed. He, eternal life flowed. And the same living water, the same picture we read in that ceremony, in that same living water that flowed out of the rock and fed a whole nation, that same living water was released through Jesus' life when he rose again three days later. Are you getting this this morning? He's living water. He's all through the Bible. The whole Bible, the whole Old Testament talks about Jesus. The whole New Testament talks about Jesus. He was there, he was the, there in the beginning. He was, there. he was the Word in the beginning, it says in John 1. When God spoke the Word, He spoke Jesus and creation was created. And so we see this incredible picture of Jesus who was beaten, struck like that rock, living water flowed. And so when we come, it represents his body that was broken for you, that was struck for you. Your body, his body that was beaten and bruised for our sin. Maybe you need healing in your body. The Bible says he was beaten and bruised by his stripes, by the lashes on his back, by the blood that flowed and, and all those cuts on his body, by his stripes you've been healed. You can ask for healing this morning as you take this. As we remember his body and this cup, that rep- the blood that flowed from his body, the blood that washes away sin, the blood that had to be shed as a sacrifice for sin once and for all, so that all our punishment, all your punishment for everything you've done wrong, everything I've done wrong, every sin that we've committed was put on him even back then. Even future, present and past was all laid upon Jesus on that cross in that one moment. I think the pain of that was probably worse than the physical pain he was feeling in his body. The weight of heaviness and brokenness and sin, I can't imagine. You know, we get it, you know, people can deal with depression and sadness and things, and you can get a heaviness and a weight and anxiousness. Just imagine the whole world being laid upon you, or everything, all the weight of sin, all the brokenness, all the hurt, all the pain was all cast upon him so bad that God himself said he had to turn away and couldn't look at his own son because he became sin. It was too ugly to look at. 
and God turned his back and that's when Jesus cried out, Father, Father, have you abandoned me? You know, have you, have you, where are you, Father? He just started to cry out because he knew his father had turned away because he'd become the sin and he died. That's pretty heavy and pretty full on. But that's what he did for you. And that's what he did for me. That's how much he loved you. And I, and that's just worth thanking, celebrating. Every time we come around communion, it's not just something we religiously do. It's something we live. It's something we do it because we live, because we have a relationship with Jesus. We want to thank him. So I want you to take this. You can stay seated for this because I'm going to share a couple more things before we end. Worship team, if one of you want to come up, your keyboard player want to come up. I want you to take this in your hand, this piece of bread representing his body, and this cup that represents his blood. And I want you, just before you take it, I'm going to pray a prayer, but just before you take it, I want you to begin to thank him. You can thank him out loud or quietly, whatever you want to do, but thank him for what he's done for you. If anything else, thank him that you have salvation. Thank him that you have forgiveness through what Jesus has done for you. So, Lord, as we hold these emblems, representing what you have done, such a clear picture, Lord, of how much you love us and care for us. Right now, we thank you for your body that was broken. We thank you for your blood that was shed for our sin. We thank you, Lord God, that we could not pay the price, only you could pay it. We thank you that you loved us so much. Thank you, Father God, that you loved us so much that you sent Jesus to die in our place because that was the only way. A sacrifice once and for all, never to be, had to be done again, that we can freely come to you and sin. Forgive me of all that I've done wrong. Maybe you need to do that right now in this place. Maybe you need to stop and say, forgive me, Lord, because I've messed up. I've made mistakes. And God will give you the strength to overcome. He'll give you the strength when temptation comes and when life may get tough and you think, oh, man, it's hard to got to do the right thing. And that's when you call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says, and you shall be saved. You can call upon his name for help and he'll be there. So as we eat and drink today, we just thank you and remember what you have done for us. I encourage you to just eat and drink and thank him as you do that this morning. Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Why don't you continue to thank him just for a moment before we finish. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for dying for me, for a sinner like me, Lord God, who didn't have all together, Lord God. You died for me. You paid the price for me. Thank you, Lord, because you love me. You love us. Thank you, Lord. You're always we're always in your heart. You're always over us. You're always looking for us. You're always pursuing us, Lord. And there's people, some people here today that, that there's times when you've kind of walked away from God and gone and done your own thing. But he wants to remind you, he said, I've never, ever stopped loving you. I've never, ever stopped pursuing you. I've always been there. And all it is is turning around and taking one step back to me. And I'm there with arms for you. Some people here today need healing in your body. You can ask Him right now as you're just taking communion because the whole, one of the main points of communion is that He is 
paid the price so you can be healed. Healing is available. Physical healing is available to you right now. If you need healing in your body, say, Jesus, please come and heal me. As we finish today, you can just pass those cups to the end of the rows. They'll be collected shortly. As we finish today, just want to finish with these thoughts. Before we mention about Jesus said that when you take one drink from Him, it becomes a river in you. I want you to think about a river for a moment. What does a river do? A river carries life. A river carries life. Most of our main cities, nearly all our main cities, are all built on rivers. They don't go and build them out in the desert unless you live in Dubai or somewhere like that. And you've got enough money to build whatever. Reservoirs. But all over the world, cities and people gather and they live around rivers because rivers carry life. A river brings life. A river brings growth. It refreshes. And you can see a river. How can, oh, you can be driving along and you can see a river. How can you see a river? Because you see the greenery around the river. You see the green tree. You can be dying. It could be sort of you know dead grass or whatever. And in the distance, you'll see this winding path of trees. And you're going, oh, that's interesting. What is it? You know straight away there's a source of water there. There's a river there because a river carries life. Jesus says when you take one drink from Him, it becomes a river of living water in you. Your life, when you know Jesus, your life should be carrying His life. Your life should be carrying living water. In other words, when people see you coming, they should be able to see the greenery around your life. They should see something different around you. They should see the life. They should see, you see that person, there's something different about them. In the midst of whatever's going on, there's a joy in their life that's their strength. It doesn't mean that every Bible says the joy of the Lord will be your strength. So no matter what you face, you are able to get through it. And so our lives should be rivers. It says not just one river, but it says rivers. That it says to me that our life can overflow into many different areas and reach many different people. This church is a river in this city. The churches in this city are rivers that flow into the people of our city. They're designed to bring life. So wherever, it's not just a building, it's you. You are the church. And wherever you go into your workplace through the week, you are a river that is flowing through to bring life to our city. That's what Jesus was saying. He was saying, come and drink because I want rivers of living water to flow through you. When the Holy Spirit was poured out and and the fire of God came, but also a river of living water came when they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they went out from that building in Pentecost and rivers of living water flowed through all the whole world until God was just touching and healing and doing incredible things all over the world and still is. So our lives are designed to be rivers. It's not your river. It's not your living water. It's His living water. The Bible in Revelation talks about there's a river that flows from the throne of God. It's the same living water. It's the same life. Your life is a river. Why don't you stand today? Stay tuned for another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church.